Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I noticed a stone lion today, right at the edge of the small park between the university library and the lab building. Its presence was strange in part because I used that park as a cut-through on a regular basis on my way to see Betty during her lunch break, and in part because it didn't look new at all. I'm often accused of being too lost in my own thoughts, but have I really not noticed a massive, glaring stone lying looming over the crushed gravel pathway I take through the park? Or did someone actually install an old lion from some other spot? The latter seems the most likely though why anyone would bother is beyond me. I was running late and just spared at a passing glance, but the next time it occurs to me, I may examine it more closely, if only to provide more padding to a mysterious tale that I can tell my girl tomorrow. I'd been dating Ryan a month when we first slept together. We had both come from bad relationships that left us bruised, and waking up happy next to him instead of anxious or scared was a good sign that I'd made the right choice continuing to see him. He was a really good guy. I had known that from the beginning, but good guys could still cause you a lot of pain. And despite my excitement every time we were together, I'd spent the last month waiting for some warning sign or a clue that he wasn't nice or normal as he seemed. Looking around his bedroom in the faint morning light, I laughed to myself a bit. It was a typical single guy's room. Messy, disorganized, very mundane. The only thing that stood out at all was the black suit hanging on the outside of his closet door. I'd never seen Ryan in anything approaching a suit, much less something this old-fashioned and formal-looking. Turning to glance at him, I jumped a little when I found him awake and staring at me. Notice the suit, huh? I nodded. Yeah, I didn't last night, but I was just thinking that you've never been in a buttoned shirt, much less a suit. Giggling a little, I nudged him in the chest with my elbow. Bet you're pretty cute in it, though. Something in his eyes changed, and the smile faded from his face. I don't wear that. It's it's not mine. Laughing, I raised my eyebrows. Oh, whose is it, then? His eyes were still on the suit. My grandfather... Or, it was. He's dead now. He's been dead for months. Oh shit, I'm sorry. Were you close to him? Ryan glanced back at me with what seemed like some effort. Huh? Oh, no, I I never even met him. He left Grandma Betty before I was born. She died when I was a teenager, and then just last year I was contacted by a lawyer that said my grandfather had died and left me an inheritance. So long as I met a certain condition, that is. Conditions? Like a movie? He shrugged. Not really. There was only one condition, really. It was to provide a key to my apartment to the attorney's office. 
They would come in and put the suit in my bedroom, and I was to leave it where it hung for a year. I'm not to move it from that spot, and I had to sign documents that gave them the right to come in and periodically check that it's still there. At random, though to be honest, in over eight months, I don't think they've ever been here. I was staring at him now, and tried to force a smile. Mm, good joke. <laughs> you had me going there for a minute. His expression didn't change. I'm not joking, Teresa. I know how weird it sounds, but from the little I heard from my mom and Betty before they died, he was a pretty weird dude. I don't think him up and leaving was such a bad thing. Glancing away, his eyes went back to the suit. Still, I said yes. Weird or not, he was apparently some big brain chemist. Had a couple of patents that made him a lot of money, and if I keep that suit there for a year, I'm supposed to get it all. Ryan shot me a grin. A few more months and I'll be a millionaire. They don't respect the water, you know. I rolled my eyes behind Pope's back. What's that? The water. He shot me a surly look as he stabbed a finger toward the draining pipe. The fucking water. When he wasn't satisfied by my reaction, he went on. My pop worked at the Hoover Dam for years, and he always said that water is the greatest force in the world. It can break a dam, eat a mountain, or build up till it explodes worse than that of TNT. And those people, those fucking smoothie bookworms with their marble buildings and fancy howdy-do bullshit have built their damn school without proper drainage in a place with a cat-shit poor water line for building something so heavy. Shaking his head, he shot me a withering look. Never mind, just... Look, the pump line has kinked in there somewhere, and I don't much care for slipping around in that muck to get it straight. An unpleasant smile spread across his broad face course, that's what I got you for. Nodding, I kept my curses in my head as I sat down to swap from my regular work boots to my rubbers. I hated this job, and I hated Pope, but just three more months and I'd be done with both. Three more months and I'd have enough money saved up to maybe be one of these fucking snooty bookworms Pope thought so much of. I kept that in my mind as I stared down the drainage tunnel. I only had to stoop a little. It was over five feet tall, and I was never going to be a linebacker. Still, what it lacked in height, it made up for in depth. From the plans Pope had showed me, these lines went all over the 50-acre campus, with intersecting hubs scattered throughout, creating a network of storm drains and runoff pools that were supposed to channel to a handful of outflow pipes like we'd been working at. The last few days, though, things had been backing up. Pope thought it was a breached water line. I figured it was trash buildup or even a stupid beaver's dam, but either way, we had to pump out the excess water before we could make sure all the lines were clear. <sighs> Damn, I hated this job. This wasn't sewage water, but it was still gross, and the idea of getting bit by a rat or a snake wasn't out of the question. The line went in over a thousand yards, and I guessed I was halfway down when I made my next turn. No signs of kinks or damage yet. I was still looking down, shining my light along the white hose when something moved at the corner of my vision. Letting out a small yelp, I turned my light on to shine up further down the tunnel. It was a man. A man in a three-piece black suit. Just standing in the water. Smiling at me. Three years ago. 
I wrote about seeing a stone lion on my way to visit Betty. At the time, I had intended on studying the lion further the following day, as I was intrigued by its condition and the fact that I'd never noticed its existence prior to that afternoon. But when I went back the next day, it was gone. Not only gone, but there was no sign that it had ever been there. A massive stone lion, probably weighing half a ton, had been moved in and out within the span of a few days, assuming I'm not totally oblivious or insane, and there was nary a trace left behind. I was reluctant to mention it to Betty, and when I did, I half expected her to laugh. But she didn't. Instead, she told me about a family myth that she'd been told by her father. Supposedly, his father had brought back a strange creature from a far-off land, a thing that could mimic inanimate objects and haunted the family wherever they went, generation after generation. I could tell she wasn't poking fun. She actually looked relieved when she told me that it had passed from her grandfather to her uncle and down that family line. When I tried to ask more questions, she quickly clammed up, only offering the name of the thing before changing the subject for good. She said it was called Shigaro. In the days that passed after that conversation, the novelty and strangeness of both the lion and Betty's tale faded into the rear view. I was fiendishly busy with my doctorate at the time, and my few moments of idle thought were better spent pondering where and when I was going to pop the question, followed by fanciful daydreams of our lives together. But then, last Thursday, I saw the line again. Your first question, dear journal, might be how I know it's the same lion. I could try to describe the indelible clarity of that earlier memory or the subtle details that make me certain that this stone lion is uniquely positioned to be the same one as I saw that day years ago. Your second might be, how strange is it really? Whoever was in charge of such things at the school moved the lion there before and moved it away again, and now, years later, the decision was made to try the spot again. There was a problem with that, however. I didn't see the lion at the park, or even anywhere else on campus. In fact, I haven't been to school in nearly two years and when I saw the lion again, I was across town at a plaza near a bank where I was petitioning for a house loan. I recognized it right away. And rather than feel joy at the serendipity of it all, I felt a thrill of fear. Something wasn't right with this thing, this, this statue. I felt foolish as I had the thought, but that didn't stop me from leaving the square at a near run or trembling as I drove back to work. And when the bank called the next day, asking for me to drop by some additional information, I was quick to tell them I'd have it in the mail within the day. Part of it was fear of seeing that line again. But that was the smaller thing, of course. No, my greater fear 
was that I'd return, and the lion wouldn't be there at all. I didn't realize at the time it didn't matter where I went. That thought didn't occur to me until I was leaving the lab last night. I was almost to my car when I noticed a hulking shadow sitting in a darkened corner of the lot. Not a car or motorcycle. At least not like any I'd ever seen. It almost looked like an animal. But what could be so big and... I turned to run, even as I heard it roar behind me. I almost made it to the car. I I think I remember grabbing the handle even as it struck me in the back. Not the hard stone claws of a lion, but something softer and somehow worse. It felt like I was being smothered, subsumed. And then I felt nothing as I drifted to sleep. When I awoke, I was a hundred miles away in a motel room. I'd driven there, apparently. My car was outside an instant when I awoke. I was a hundred miles away in a motel room. I'd driven there, apparently. My car was outside and intact, aside from a large dent on the driver's side door that I imagined had come during the attack. Speaking of damage, at first I seemed to have suffered none. I'd woken on one of the room's twin beds, the only signs of something amiss being my location and what I was wearing. It was a three-piece black suit with thin blue pinstripes and a starched shirt with French cuffs and an edge-stitched collar. It fit me perfectly but it wasn't mine. I'd never owned anything like it. Still, my first preoccupation was how I'd come to be in that strange place. It wasn't until I'd spoken to the manager and tried to call home with no luck that I went back to the room to search for clues. I found nothing of interest in the room itself, but perhaps the suit would... Except it wasn't a suit. Not really. A few inches of exploration into my sleeve cuffs or my pant legs, even the space between the buttons of the crisp white shirt, I felt a hard, rippled flesh wetted to my own. Even the pieces of the suit, my socks and shoes, were all part of some horrific other that had fused itself to me in a parasite that looked like and felt like finery until you dunk too deep. I think I went insane for a little while after that. I tried to cut it off or burn it, but it won't let me. It doesn't control my motions, not entirely, but it does seem to keep me in a highly suggestible state. I can function well enough so long as I don't cross its purposes, but when I try at something it doesn't like, my thoughts and will seem to skitter and scramble across something hard and alien before slipping away entirely. Crazy as it sounds, I think it let me call home because I remembered Betty had taken the baby to her mother's that night, even though I'd forgotten. I don't think it wants me to go home, but that's fine. I would never bring this horror back to those I love. Instead, I will work on learning more about it, stopping it, beating it, all the while hoping that this is some terrible nightmare I can someday wake from. So, tomorrow's the big day, huh? What? 
didn't you tell me this weekend that tomorrow was the day you get your money or whatever? Oh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess. Sorry, I didn't sleep very well last night. Lots of nightmares. I'm sorry, babe. I wasn't trying to be weird mentioning the money thing, you know? Uh, yeah, I know. I'm just... I'm excited for you that you're getting the money. It's a great opportunity for you. But that's not why I'm dating you. I've known we've only been together for like five months, but I really see a future for us, and I don't want that tainted by you thinking I'm a gold digger or something, you know? Yeah, I... Sorry, I'm I, I'm listening. I just... When you called, you woke me up. And then I'm... Well... I reached into my pocket and I found these papers I didn't know were there. I guess I never checked. Huh. That is weird. Where did you say that some of them were written in like the 80s it looks like? It's signed by some guy named Gary Russell and he's got a date next to his name that looks like 84 but the rest I think the rest were written by my grandfather. Uh Okay. Did you say you found it in your pocket? What pocket? On the suit. I woke up wearing it. Mister, do you need help? The man in the suit kept smiling as he nodded. He didn't look hurt, and if he minded the water running past his legs, he didn't show it. Still, he had to be in trouble down here, especially dressed like that. Maybe he'd had an accident and hit his head, or... I do. I'm very hungry. I'd been walking forward, but now I stopped and gave a nervous laugh. Mister, uh, you won't find much to eat down here. The man didn't respond at first, and when he did, it was by tilting his head back and sucking in a large breath. When he lowered his gaze to me again, his eyes seemed to shine out of the shadows of that place. Raising his hand, he pointed back the way I'd come. I'd prefer the other one to help me. Your boss, the fat one. I started to respond, but my voice gave out and his smile returned. I'll make do with your assistance if you prefer, but I think you'll agree he's more suitable. Am I mistaken? I shook my head as I let out a shaky breath. I didn't know what this man was, but I needed to be out of here, away from him. I'd just back away and head back to the entrance, and then... No, Gary, don't just run away. That won't work out for you at all. You send in the fat one, eh? You send him in, and you stay out there until you know I found him. Then you can go. He chuckled. Then, you can go home without worrying about coming home to me some terrible night. I remember nodding and backing away, blood thundering in my ears as I sloshed back to the daylight. It was never a question of just running away or warning Pope. I was in survival mode, like a deer being chased by a lion. There was no time to stop and talk it over. I just had to do what I had to do and get out alive. Pope thought I was pulling a joke at first, and then he was pissed off. He said he wasn't going down to the tunnel for some nut job that had wandered in. But I told him the guy was wearing a suit and looked important. Looked important, and he asked for him in particular. 
I wasn't sure where the words had come from, but they worked. For all his dislike of fancy people, he still feared them and wanted to stay on their good side. Maybe this was some big boss that would owe him a favor down the line if he rescued him from the drink. I could almost see his wheels turning before he nodded and grunted his way into the pipe, flashlight in hand. Stay here. I'll yell if I need help. I stayed, and in a few minutes he started to yell all right, but I didn't move a muscle. Not until the sounds stopped. Then I ran home. That was a month ago, and I haven't breathed a word of it to anyone until writing this down. Pope was always a drunk and I don't think anyone was surprised that he suddenly dropped off the map. They tried to give me his job, but I told them no. I'd had enough of water pipes and dark tunnels to last me a lifetime. I was starting to think everything was going to be okay. I got accepted to school, the community college at first, but I can go to university later if my grades are good, and if I skimp the next couple of months, I can make it all work money-wise. Everything was going fine until... I saw him again, the man from the tunnel. I've seen him twice now, first at the store and then outside my mom's house, just standing and watching me with that same smile I remember from the dark. I've just ignored him. I'm too afraid to confront him, and I keep praying he'll just go away again, but I don't think he will. I think I was wrong to trust whatever thing he is, even out of fear, but he hasn't gotten me yet. And when he comes, I'll be ready. There's no stopping this thing. I've spent over ten years trying, living a desolate life, avoiding people where I can, and minimizing the destruction it causes when I can't. It lets me stay in control most of the time. Whether by choice or because it has limitations, I'm still not sure. I was able to disappear from my old life and find work on the West Coast. Ironically, I've been more successful professionally than I ever imagined, likely because my work is the only thing that I have left that truly feels like my own. People think me strange, always wearing the same suit day in and out, but but they can't question my work ethic or results, and I don't let anyone into my life enough to see past the surface sheen of my accomplishments. I abandoned ideas of killing it or myself long ago. Whatever power it has over me, it is implicable when it comes to such things. Yet despite that, It's never stopped me from looking for answers and trying to learn more about the parasite that has overtaken me. There are some accounts of parasitic creatures in both nature and folklore. The Shigaro legend is obscure, but there are a few similar stories to be found if you know where to look. All of them describe some kind of magical creature that invades a person or family, tormenting them and ruining their lives. They're described as shapeshifters and tricksters, manipulators. Often their victims are thought to be insane, 
and at least one account describes the creature actively fostering that belief in others. Their motives are never clear, and neither is any method of stopping them. This all sounds absurd, even as I write it, even after all I've seen and lived through, this abomination grafted to me, constantly guiding me away from self-destruction or discovery. I have trouble imagining it as something supernatural. Even as it eats away at me over time, I try to keep the idea that it is just an animal, a smart animal that is unknown in nature but still a part of it. Something real and rational that I can somehow beat and return to my family. I think the lie of that is growing stale on my tongue. Natural or not, I'm beginning to think that I understand an element of this thing's nature. Of its life cycle. It is a parasite. But as I've said, there are parasitic creatures in nature, such as the wasp, that attaches its young to prey, letting it grow and fatten on its host until it's ready to move on to the next host or stage of life. I don't presume to know what this thing truly is or what its lifespan or cycle might be, but I do feel a growing hunger these past few weeks, a hunger and drive that are not my own. I might not be enough to sustain it on my own for much longer. And I'm worried that the time I've started to lose will quickly become the rule rather than the exception. I can feel its thoughts sometimes, you see. Not thoughts as we know them, but images of music and terrible longing. I think it knows many things desires many things in this world that it just started to explore. It's a baby, you see. Not the lion at all, but a new generation of whatever they are. And above all else, it wants to be born. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My grandfather never spent that much time with me growing up. When I heard the news of his passing, all I could muster was a tone of indifference in the form of empty condolences. My lack of sympathy turned to guilt when I heard he left me everything he owned. This, however, was more than likely because of the falling out between him and my parents. Being his only grandchild, I was probably one of the few options he had when writing his will. I wouldn't be surprised if his lawyer threw some names into a hat and picked a lucky winner. No matter the reason behind my inheritance, I appreciated the gesture, though I didn't wait with bated breath, knowing the man didn't have much to his name. 
I wouldn't have been surprised to receive old war bonds and some hand-me-down vintage clothing, void of any modern value. Still, I was vaguely curious, but not enough to keep the thought fresh in my mind. I forgot all about my new wealth until it eventually arrived at my doorstep. Sure enough, a few weeks after my grandfather's death, a large package came in the mail containing all of his belongings. As I suspected, there wasn't much. Some old photo albums, antiques, a pocket watch, a box full of outdated TV guides. One of his possessions, however, grabbed my attention. It was a wrapped gift addressed to Abigail, my grandmother. She passed away shortly after giving birth to my father, so I assumed he'd never had the chance to give it to her. Holding the unopened gift brought with it a slight wave of sadness for my grandparents and their situation back then. My dad told me countless times about how much Grandpa missed Grandma over the years. Abigail was the love of his life. They were supposed to run off to Paris and start a life together. This was always a dream of theirs. Pregnancy followed by death impeded this plan. A love story cut short by the unforgiving nature of life's unexpected turns. Though I felt grief for my grandfather, the feeling was soon outweighed by curiosity. I could have left the gift intact, an untouched memory that was never my place to view in the first place. That would have been the proper thing to do, but I was never really one for manners. I ripped that thing open so fast, a spiral of dust shot out up in the air, clouding my glasses. I wiped them clean before looking at Grandma Abigail's newly opened gift. It was... A Ouija board. A Ouija board, of all things. With it was a small note and a list of instructions. This is what the note said. To my dearest Abigail, the shop owner told me that this was a special board designed to grant wishes. If we wish with all of our might, maybe we can finally make it to Paris. Upon reading the instructions, it seemed my grandfather was right. Upon reading the instructions, it seemed my grandfather was right. Property of Grovewood & Co., an emporium of mystical artifacts the likes of which have never been known. Use with the utmost caution. This is a one-of-the-kind Ouija board that can manifest your deepest desires. If used properly, you will never need anything ever again. Follow these instructions to unlock what you always wanted. 1. Remove the planchette from its compartment. 2. Slide the planchette over the board using the letters to spell out whatever it is you desire. 3. Place the planchette back into its compartment, completing the ritual. Repeat this process as many times as you want, but never attempt to revert a previous wish. It will not end well. Enjoy. I didn't know what I was expecting, but it certainly wasn't this. What a strange gift. Sweet, but strange. I tossed the board in with the rest of my grandfather's belongings and put them up in the attic. That's where I thought they would stay, but as luck would have it, life took another one of its unexpected turns. A few months passed. My grandfather and the items he left me were as far from my thoughts as they could possibly be. The only thing occupying my mind and heart was Veronica. 
We'd been dating for seven years, a perfect time to go our separate ways, according to her. I was devastated. I never knew how much I loved her until the moment she said goodbye. Heartbreak seemed to be a reoccurring theme in my family. I drink a lot that night, and I mean a lot. In addition to whiskey, I was consumed with a toxic cocktail of heart-wrenching sadness and anger as my depressed thoughts ran haywire. I wondered if this was the kind of loss my grandfather felt when Abigail died. That's when I remembered the strange gift he brought. Perhaps I needed a way to cope with the breakup, or maybe I just wanted a distraction. Either way, in a drunken stupor, I dug out the Ouija board for a closer look. It was beautifully crafted, hand-etched wood with a compartment built in to slide in for the stunning ivory planchette and a unique assortment of characters on the front. Everything was a bit fuzzy, but I could make out a mountain of letters descending in sizes as they moved up to a large ampersand at the top of the board. I was an Ouija connoisseur, but I knew they didn't make them like this anymore. As I admired the board's craftsmanship, an idea sprung to mind. I skimmed through the instructions, grabbed the planchette, and slid it over the face of the board. I used all my drunken willpower to want what it was I wished for. With every scuff of ivory on wood, with every transition from letter to letter, I willed the universe to grant me a favor. I knew it was time for the relationship to end, and I knew Veronica would be happier on a different path. I didn't want to screw that up for her. Still, I needed closure. I wished for just one more day with her. One day. For old time's sake. I didn't believe in magic, but I allowed myself to, if only for a brief drunken moment, to feel better. It was a catharsis that alleviated at least a small portion of my pain. After making the wish, I stumbled over to my bed, fell onto the sheets, and passed out. My alcohol-induced slumber consisted of a plethora of dark dreams, most of which involved my grandparents. In one, I watched them strolling through Paris until the background melted into a horrible black goo. In another, I saw Abigail give birth, not to my father, but to the Ouija board, an image I will never get out of my head. The last one I can remember was of my grandfather using the board to wish for a child and then trying to take it back. Every dream ended with the same still image of the ampersand on the board, closing in on my field of view. Bizarre was the best word I can think of to describe it all. I awoke the next day to a loud banging at my front door. I was hungover, but could gather enough of my wits to know I wasn't expecting company. Confused and nauseous, I hesitantly looked out the front window to see Veronica, in all of her beauty, waiting patiently at my doorstep. I couldn't believe it. Had the board worked, or was it just a coincidence? I didn't care what the circumstances were. With a racing heart, I quickly opened the door to greet my former lover. I'm here, she stated plainly. But why? How? I asked. Don't ask questions, 
she told me. Just enjoy the time we have together. It was the board. What else could explain it? Veronica was supposed to be on a plane back home to her family in Canada. Nothing would have kept her from them. Certainly not me. It worked. It really worked. I decided to do as she said and not question the higher power that brought us back together. I would enjoy every last moment spent with her and hopefully it would help me put our relationship to rest. I'd been given another chance and I had no intention of letting it slip through my fingers. The day was perfect. It was like every peak of our relationship rolled into one, an entire day of nothing but good moments, each one building on the previous to create a continuous story of happiness. That night we even made love. The perfect ending to a perfect day. As I laid there, my arm wrapped around her waist, we fell asleep together one last time. I couldn't have asked for a better end to our relationship. It was bittersweet, but I was elated. I could move on from this. The memory of this day would keep me going for years to come. Or so I thought. Upon waking the next morning, I was horrified. My arm was still around Veronica's waist, but it was not the same living, breathing Veronica I went to bed with the night previous. My arm was wrapped around my lover's skeletal remains, a blackened pile of bone and ash. What I felt in that moment could be likened to shock, but it was different. Every drop of blood in my body ran cold, and my heart sunk so low, I swear I could feel it beating in my stomach. I was absolutely mortified. I couldn't find it in me to move right away. All I could do was think of the board and the stupid wish I'd made. I received exactly what I asked for, precisely 24 hours with my love. Now she was gone to me. She was gone to the whole world. Her family would be waiting for her to get off that plane she never boarded. Her friends would wonder where she was. She would never bring joy to another human with her beautiful, captivating smile. She would never get to enjoy the life she so desperately sought to live after our breakup. It was all gone. All of it. Thanks to me. In an emotionless, zombie-like state, I scooped up the brittle remains of my ex-lover into a cardboard box, placing her in the attic next to my grandfather's belongings. And then I grabbed some lighter fluid, a box of matches from the stove, and set my sights on the Ouija board. It was all I could think to do in that instance. It was all I could do to keep from breaking down. Just as I was about to douse the wood, another idea sprung to mind. It worked the first time, so why not the second? The instructions clearly stated that I could use it as much as I desired. Why not simply wish for her to be alive again? Aroused at the possibility of bringing my love back to life, I removed the planchette from the board, spelled out the phrase, Bring Her Back and placed it back into its compartment. I waited. Nothing happened. I waited some more. Still nothing. 
Eventually, I grew fed up and tossed the board against the wall. Tears dripped onto the floor. I wasn't even aware I'd been crying. I just missed her so much. This was definitely what my grandfather felt when he lost Abigail. I just, I knew it. The worst feeling a person could ever feel. My breakdown was soon interrupted by the sounds of footsteps above me. It was coming from the attic. My heart skipped a beat as I ran upstairs to see if Veronica had been brought back to me. I swung the door open with a smile on my face, expecting to see the love of my life alive and well with open arms. She was there all right, but not the way I pictured. The box of Veronica's remains was opened and on its side. Standing beside it was Veronica, the same way I found her that morning. Blackened bone and ash, only now she was upright and walking about. My adrenaline spiked as her wicked skull turned to see me at the doorway. She tilted her head before making a mad dash in my direction. I swiftly slammed the door shut and locked the deadbolt, but not before a swatch of fabric on my shirt was clawed off by bony fingers. A thunderous banging commenced, letting me know my Veronica was alive again, at least in some fashion, and she was livid. I raced downstairs as the panic set in. Before I could catch my breath, my phone rang. I answered it and was greeted by Veronica's parents. Apparently she'd failed to touch down in Montreal, but she told a few of her friends she was coming to see me before leaving. No, not here, I awkwardly blurted out as I looked through my window to see Veronica's car still parked in the driveway. To make matters worse, the ferocious knocking from upstairs grew louder, no doubt bleeding through to the other end of the phone. Sorry, now's not a good time. I hung up on them, but they called back shortly after. As the phone continued to ring, the banging continued as well. The sounds clashed in my ears, creating a pressure that directed stress to every fiber of my body. I desperately needed a way out. I didn't have a lot of time left. As fast as my arms would allow, I slid the planchette over the board and wished to be left alone. I placed it back inside and closed my eyes out of fear. The noises ceased. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No phone ringing. No footsteps. In fact, all sound was gone. Overwhelming silence in every direction. Upon opening my eyes and looking out the front window, I was greeted with an empty world. No cars on the road. No neighbors doing yard work. No animals in the trees. I left my house and walked up and down my street, but I saw no living creature anywhere. This was the board's way of granting my wish. I could only truly be left alone if there was no one to bother me in the first place. Another one of its 
backhanded gifts. Splendid. Just splendid. I walked back into my house and sat at the board defeated. My life was ruined. Even if I wished again and accepted the board's price, I could not revert the previous one. I tried that already and created a monster. It seemed I would always be on my lonesome, no matter what, and perhaps I deserved it. After all, I killed my girlfriend. I deleted everyone from existence. Maybe this was the path I was meant to take after all the crimes I committed. Not just now, but before. In the seven years I dated Veronica, I never once put her needs over my own. I took her for granted. That's why she wanted to leave. But who could blame her? And now I was alone. I couldn't be near her or anyone ever again. This was punishment for my wrongdoings, my own personal slice of purgatory. I came to accept my fate and hoped there was still a world out there, an alternate timeline where Veronica was living out her life and receiving the love she truly deserved. And maybe there was another where my grandparents' time together wasn't cut short, a string of different decisions that finally led them to a happy ending in Paris. I could only hope. Looking down at the board, the large ampersand stared me down, much like it had in my peculiar dreams. This reminded me of something. The shop from the instruction manual, Grovewood & Co., it was said to house a great deal of supernatural artifacts, like the board. What if that was my way out? If I could get to the shop, maybe I could use another artifact to fix the mess I'd made. It wasn't much of a plan, but I literally had nothing to lose anymore. I slid the planchette over the board and spelled out, Take me to Grovewood & Co., making sure to use the large ampersand at the top. I placed the planchette inside and waited. Within seconds, a swirling vortex of light surrounded me, lifting me and the board into the air before placing us back on solid ground. When the white veil was lifted, I realized I wasn't in Kansas anymore. The board had taken me to a room. There were no doors or windows, only display glass and bookshelves. It felt akin to a museum or a library. I could only presume... I was in the Grovewood showroom, surrounded by powerful artifacts. I picked up the board and decided to take a tour. The things I saw were astounding. Each display contained an artifact and a plaque engraved with the description. These are some of the items I can remember. There was an elevator button panel that can somehow replay past events. There was a plush cat that acts as a vessel for demonic entities an axe that, when wielded, caused madness, and an amulet that can create an insatiable bloodlust in anyone who stands near it. None of what I saw seemed helpful. I perused the catalog of books the shop had to offer, but there were none in English. I'm not even sure they were of any earthly language. Eventually, I came to a section of empty displays, including one for a Ouija board where the ability to fulfill desires... This was no doubt the display for my grandfather's board. I wondered what would happen if I put it back in its case. I carefully lifted the display and placed the board within. After reconnecting the glass to the base, something strange happened. 
A glow emanated from the board, almost as if a dormant power had been activated. Another light engulfed me and lifted me in the air. It was then placed back at home, safe and sound. I quickly steeled my focus in an effort to get my bearings. There was no malicious sounds coming from upstairs and no signs of the living dead in my peripheral. So far, so good. But I wasn't quite sure yet if things were back to the way they were. For all I knew, the board backfired again and could strike at any moment. Knock, knock. I jumped. Someone was at the door. I calmed myself before opening it to find a delivery man, giving me a large package of things my grandfather left me. I signed for it and then bid him farewell, confusion painted across my face. I then received a text from Veronica. We need to talk. I never thought I'd be so happy to see those words. It seemed placing the board back in its home worked. Everything had been reset. The world had returned to normal. I chuckled to myself as I lifted the box back up to the attic. I couldn't quite fathom everything I'd been through, but I was glad it was over. It was only after recalling these events that I noticed something out of place. Veronica didn't send a text like that until many weeks after I received my grandfather's package. This was strange, but easy to brush off. A harmless side effect of the universe unraveling and reconnecting. Nothing to worry about. I reached the attic door and placed my hand on the knob. Before turning it, I heard something coming from within. There were footsteps. With a great deal of hesitance, I turned the knob and pushed the door open, unsure of what to expect. Behind it was not what I expected. It wasn't my attic. It was a room full of glass displays and bookshelves, a room I was all too familiar with. Though it defied all explanation, I was back at the Grovewood shop, more baffled than I had been during any of my misadventures with the board. Perhaps I never really left. This had to be the downside of another one of the Ouija board's many nightmares come to life. Standing in the center of the room was Veronica, complete with her skin and vitality. Did you get my message? We really need to talk. But Veronica, how... She cut me off before I could finish my thought. Oh, I'm not Veronica. I thought it best to take this form as to not startle you. By nature, I'm also inclined to please the owner of the board. I knew you wanted to see her again. She was right. She looked and sounded like my Veronica, but I could tell something was slightly off, a feeling that I can't quite put in words. And who are you, exactly? Was all I could offer in response. My chosen name is Eliana. I'm a manifestation of the board and its power. It was then I noticed the dress she was wearing. An elegant array of letters leading up to an ampersand shaped and cut out at her chest. Was she really the human version of my grandfather's board? You've misused me to the point of fragmenting specific sections of the universe that are not easily sewn back together. I'm here to help you set things right. 
Most of my energy was spent taking on this physical form, but I have enough in me to grant you one more wish. You have to make this one count. Uh, okay. What do I do? I cannot make your wish for you, nor can I suggest or persuade to sway your judgment. I can, however, point you in the direction of knowledge that might help. Here, take my planchette and use it to read a book on the shelf behind me titled Artifact Cocktails, Dual Forces and Their Effects. The planchette's glass will translate the text. The planchette materialized in her hand as she handed it to me. Turn to page 427 and read about which items can be used in tandem with the board to create a new power. It's true that with the board alone, you can't revert a previous wish, but with the help of an item in this room, we may be able to circumvent that rule. Though disappointed my journey into the unknown wasn't over, I was happy to have a little help this time around. I got to work immediately, using the planchette to scour the shelf for the correct title. After finding the book, I opened it to page 427 and rubbed the planchette all over the chapter, devouring the text within. There were so many different uses for the board, some mundane, some dangerous, though none were deliberately helpful. I went over the page a few times before shutting the book, confident in my next course of actions. It seemed in the Grovewood shop there was another Ouija board. When used together with mine, in a specific manner, it could open a portal to view other realms. It wasn't a cure for the mess, but it was a start. I didn't know how it might help, but all I could think was to try it at the time, and I told Alini as much. It's not a bad idea. Your board, like many other items in this room, has jumped ship on more than one occasion. If you calibrate it just right, you might be able to see its use in one of these worlds, granting you better methods of implantation. It could be the key we need to unlock the mystery. Both boards appeared in Elania's hands as she handed them to me. I placed them on the floor, making sure to put my grandfather's on top of its counterpart. I then placed their respective planchettes on a pair of random letters. Different combinations provided different results. Before my very eyes, an oblong tear in the fabric of space and time revealed itself. With it, the view of a hidden world. I was taken aback, but Elania didn't seem to as much bat an eye. The next few hours consisted of moving planchettes and stealing glimpses across other realms. In one world, I saw a man seemingly stuck in an attic, not dissimilar to my own. In another, a sentient orb floating through the cosmos. In another still, a frozen landscape untouched by time. The one that interested me the most, however, was a town lost to the rest of its world, filled with inhabitants who can't escape, try as they might. While fascinating, none of the portals I opened were of any help. I eventually exhausted the normal combinations. This led to toying with the planchettes, turning them on their side, upside down, and even holding them steady above the board, all in an attempt to gain access to more timelines. No new ground was made, putting me right back at square one, defeated and wary. At my wit's end, staring blankly at the board before me, I was again greeted with an ominous ampersand. 
It was the only character I'd yet to use. I saw this as an invitation to try one more experiment. Not expecting anything viable, I clicked the planchettes together and placed them onto the ampersand. To my surprise, a new portal opened up. There, in the void, what was what appeared to be a souvenir shop filled with a happy-go-lucky staff and customers. Liana reacted this time, her mouth agape in awe. That's the shop, Grovewood and Company, shortly after its grand opening almost a century ago. You found it. This might be just what we need. Go ahead, look around. Let's see what we can uncover. Liana's excitement was contagious, keeping me focused on our mission. Remembering the instructions from the book, I slowly spun the planchettes in a clockwise motion to change perspective. It was like a slideshow, allowing me various vantage points from which to view the shop. Before long, I was there. The showroom. Within it's a vast collection of artifacts, dwarfing the one in my own timeline's version of the shop. I cycled through the displays and eventually wound up at a pocket watch with no description on its plaque, causing Ilania to gasp. What is it? I asked. Nothing. I just recognized that one is all. Keep going. I continued, but I could tell Ilania wasn't with me. I prodded her for more answers. Are you okay? What's on your mind? I was just thinking. That pocket watch. If we had it, we could potentially use it with the board to erase what you've done. I didn't understand what she meant, but I cycled back to the pocket watch to get a closer look. It looks a little familiar, but I don't recall it being in the chapter you showed me. That's because it isn't in there. In fact, it isn't in any of these books. It's a powerful force that expels energy at random. Its many effects have never been fully documented, but I've seen it in action. One of its abilities is time travel, usually killing the user in the process. Oh, perfect, I said sarcastically. If you use the board to focus the watch and hone in on its one power, you can wish for its mercy, granting you a safe passage. We could turn back the sands of time before you use the board and reverse its toxic effects once and for all. I thought you were bound by the board not to make suggestions, I pointed out. That's just it. It's not really a suggestion if we can't acquire the watch. This is a one-way window, after all. Nothing goes in and nothing can come out. She was right, but I had an idea. My eyes darted around the room until I found what I was looking for, and a display to my left was the woodman's axe. I remembered it from my previous trip. This is when I asked Alania a question. Can three artifacts be used together rather than just two? In theory, but I've never heard of anyone trying it before. I wouldn't advise it. That was all I needed to know. I ran over to the display, lifted the glass, and grabbed the axe. Wait, what are you doing? That's not going to work. You don't know what will happen. I ignored Ilania's warnings and thrust the axe's blade into the portal. A wave of energy knocked me back against the far wall. On the verge of becoming unconscious, 
I watched as the dark mist exited the opening and swirled towards Elania, entering through her mouth. She grew in size and wore a crooked smile with blood-red eyes, possessed by some otherworldly entity. She then picked up the axe and charged toward me, a sight that almost made me miss my zombie girlfriend. In an injured daze, I managed to dodge her blows, weaving in and out of displays, being careful to avoid the broken glass that scattered in her wake. While running for my life, one of my knees gave out, causing me to fall in front of the Ouija boards. I instinctively grabbed one and held it up to shield my face as her axe came down on me. It struck the board and bounced back, a surge of enormous power released from their connection. Could objects not destroy other objects? Eliana and the axe fell to the floor. The dark mist exited her body and raced towards me. Just as it was about to worm its way into my mouth, it froze in place. This is when I noticed Alania sitting up on the floor, her arm outreached. She was using her power to control it. In one fluid motion, Ileana swung her arm and the entity jumped back into the portal, the cut I made with the axe closing behind it. Ileana, I, I, I'm so sorry. I should have listened. I, There's no time for that. I've been drained. I don't have much energy left. You have to make the wish now. Hurry. I understood the urgency, but I didn't know what to wish for to remedy the broken world I'd created. I averted my attention back to the portal and gazed upon the unreachable pocket watch in all of its glory, desperately wanting its ability to turn back time, the power to give the world where Veronica was alive again, where Ilania could sleep peacefully in her board and where my idiotic selfishness could be forgiven. An existence untouched by my foolish mistakes. Looking at the watch, I realized something. The reason it looked so familiar to me. Could it be? I ran over to my grandfather's package and ripped it open. There, sitting with the rest of his things, was the pocket watch from the shop. I held it next to the portal, just to be sure, and it was an exact match. He must have purchased it when he bought it my grandmother the Ouija board. Ileana, I have it. I have the... Make your wish, now. I ran over to the board and placed the watch on the ampersand. I grabbed the planchette and wished to be taken back in time. Safe passage from that moment to the first moment I used the board. The dial on the clock turned counterclockwise as another light surrounded me and lifted me in the air. It seemed to be working. After a few moments, I was placed back on the floor in front of the board and watched, but not in the shop. I was home. I quickly ran upstairs to double-check. The door opened to my attic, free of waking skeletons. I then called Veronica and she picked up, perturbed by my exclamations of joy, convinced it was part of a half-hearted scheme to win her back. Finally, I sat back at the Ouija board and sighed, thankful my strange adventure had come to an end. But there was one more thing I had to do. Using the board and watch one final time, I sent a letter to my grandfather in the past, convincing him not to visit the shop in the first place, hoping it would send the pair of items back to where they belonged. Shortly after completing the wish, the objects vanished, proving my idea successful. The repercussions of that last wish didn't stop there, however. 
Memories flooded my brain, each fighting for a spot on its surface, begging for me to call on them so I could recall new events of my past. My grandmother didn't die after giving birth to my father. Both my grandparents were there for me as a child growing up. In fact, both of them were still alive. I can't explain it, but never crossing paths with that shop saved their lives. Just then, something shot through the mail slot in my front door. A small package with a postcard from my grandparents in Paris, where they now lived. We picked this up for you at a boutique here in France. Thought it might cheer you up after your breakup with Veronica. Maybe she'll take you back. Take care of yourself. We love you. I opened the package to find a small box with a ring inside. And a note. Property of Grovewood & Co. An emporium of mystical artifacts, the lengths of which have never been known. Use with the utmost caution. Place this ring on your true lover's finger and they will be bound to you for life.